Amen. I'm going to begin tonight after a few comments in Psalms 25. And then I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. We're coming in our study on the Christian home, the home that is Christian, not just a home, but a Christian home where Christ is focused on by its members that is spoken of, that confesses Christ to be saved and so forth. A Christian home. And we've come through a lot of various subjects about the home, what it is, the members of it, their duties, responsibilities. And last week we spoke about children because chances are if you're married, you're very likely to have children. And when you do, you have a difficult responsibility or a tedious responsibility, but it's a responsibility that we all have to raise children the way God wants them raised. That means they would become godly seed. And those children will eventually one day become teenagers. That's not a bad thing. Well, you know, when they were in diapers, we as parents said, I'll be glad when they get out of diapers. And one day they got out of diapers and you said, I'll be glad when they can tell me what's wrong with them. Then they learn how to talk, and you said, I'll be glad they can button their shirt and tie their shoes and dress themselves. And they came to that. Then they grew up, and they were quite manageable, and then one day they hit teen years. And a lot of parents, not all of them, doesn't have to be like this, but a lot of parents said, I'll be glad when they get out of their teen years, because that usually means they get married or, or they leave home, because things change. The teen years are a time of transition. It's a time of change. You go from a child to a man or from a, a girl to a young lady. And things happen, things change. Instead of that little cute little fellow, that little girl that was always, you know, doing all the nice little things, they grow up and they start changing. And it's not an easy change, as I've alluded to in the past. Sometimes they begin to challenge what you've always told them is true. And one day they're not so sure that's true after all. So they begin to challenge you, and they've never done that before. And they're growing up. They're trying to find out things for themselves. And they don't just swallow everything that's fed them anymore because they want to know. After all, they are who they are and get out of the way. Not all of them, but a lot of them seem to do that. They make a lot of mistakes in the teen years. Or if I spoke for myself, I made too many mistakes in my teen years. And it left a few scars, too many scars into my adult life. Some of the habits and some of the attitudes you grew up with are not always easy to dispose of. And they follow you sometimes into your marriage and they cause trouble there just like they caused you trouble when you were growing up and various things you went through and the attitudes that you had. A lot of times, not always, a lot of the kids in their teens not only become troublesome themselves, but they also become troublesome to their parents. And not everybody is happy about a lot of things that happen during those years, but they can't be avoided. All of us in here that are over 19 were once teenagers. You didn't just pass those years. We went through them. It's sort of a passage of, of life. You're not 12 years old anymore. You're not a kid anymore. Now you're a young man. You're 13. And then you become 19, and that's the end of it. And then they become 20, then they're adults, they say. And it's always tragic when you're 20, 25, or 30, and you're still acting 16. 
because something latched onto you during those years that you never got away from. And I'll get to that more in just a moment. But concerning the problems that accidents or troublesome years of, of our life, listen to what David wrote in Psalm 25 and verse 7. He was no exception to this. He said, remember not the sins of my youth. There must be youthful sins. And there are many and there are various. And I would say because of the nature of sin in us, they're inescapable. The depth of how deep you get into some of these sins is various from one person to the other. But he said, remember, O Lord, not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. I don't want to live in the sins of my youth. Have mercy on me, God. I don't want to be like that anymore. I messed up. It was terrible. I shouldn't have done it that way, acted that way, said that, gone there, got involved with this one or that one. God, I am sorry. So we know that those years, from just what David wrote here, there are such things as sins of our youth. We don't want to make light of it. They don't have to be intense. They could be just minor things as far as things that scar you or affect your adult life. But they do happen. There are sins in your youth. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 13 for as a text for tonight. I want to read verse 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, about our young people, our teenagers. Paul writes, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. If we did nothing more tonight than say, go home and give at least an hour by yourself quietly alone with no distractions and think about that, you would probably come to the conclusion this. We accept you as a childish person when you're little. Our children are, are just normal children. They act like children. They talk like children. They think like children. They do things that children do. They may act up in public and adults look at them and they smile at you because they know their children are going through that. They're easily distracted. Their attention span is often short. They don't understand all this church stuff. They don't like sitting still and they wonder when we, you know, and it's part of their growing up years. But the Bible says when you become a man, and I like to think of the fact that from the ages 13 to 19, in those teen years, you are supposed to grow up. You are supposed to mature in various areas in your life, in various ways. You're supposed to grow up. Yes, there's a lot of fun you have in your teen years. And yes, it's great to be able to get out and go and hang out and do things and do this and have fun here and fun there. That's true. That's part of the transition. That's part of the becoming time. But it's also a time that you need to realize that life isn't all about having fun. Life is all about you as a Christian taking up your cross daily and following Christ. And along the way, there are a lot of freedoms that he gives you, but none of those freedoms are to make you adverse to God. You're not supposed to become a, a difficult, unsaved type person in those years. You're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to mature. All of us expect to see a change in you. We saw you when you were sitting in the seat and getting a spanking because you wouldn't sit still or 
when you were little and falling asleep and falling out of your chair, and we laughed, thought it was funny. But if you're 50 years old doing that, there's something wrong with you. If you're 16 years old and you're doing that, there's something wrong with you. As I've said in other illustrations before, you go to a restaurant with a long line, a popular place, and your six-year-old or seven-year-old is acting like a child. They don't want to stand in line that long. There's nobody at McDonald's. Let's go over there. No, we're going to eat here today, and they just hate to wait because children are not by nature patient. They're impatient. They want it now, what they want now. Some of them never grow up and are still like that when they're 30 years old, still impatient. But we put up with that. We look at children now. They have a little fit and, you know, tolerant. Other people say, well, he's cute or she is uh, cute. How old is she or how old is he? And, you know, he's six. Oh, well, you're a cute little fellow there. And then and you're sitting there trying to go. Oh. But, you know, if again, if you were 17 years old, and you went out to eat with your parents after church and you were whining and complaining like that and throwing a little fit, people would frown. They would say, what's wrong with him? And you'd just say, he just never grew up. And that's tragic. Listen, there are people that had something wrong with them that never grew up. And we feel sorry for people like that. I do. I mean, that's a difficult thing in life to deal with. But when you're a normal kid and you never grew up, you just maintain your little selfish bratish, independent ways, acting irresponsible and unbehaving in public without regard for what anybody thinks or how your parents must feel, you never grew up. You're still a child. As far as I'm concerned, you should be treated like a child. You should be treated like one because you are one. But nevertheless, it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I can't do that no more. I got to put all that stuff behind me. Now, because manhood follows childhood, and between manhood and childhood is teenhood, I want to talk tonight about a time of change and a transition for teenagers that you should consider. Again, it's just a time of change. You're going from a little frail looking kid, a little bony looking something, you begin to fill out, your muscles begin to show up. You start getting peach fuzz on your faces and, and your voice starts changing and you begin to realize it because you're, you're feeling things you've never felt before. You're sensing things in your body you've never sensed before. A little girl is not a little girl anymore. She's beginning to develop and fill out and she looks more like a lady than a girl and everything begins to change. She doesn't dress like a little girl. She has to be careful how she sits and all of those kind of things because she's becoming it's a time of change. And parents have to be keen. Christian parents have to be keen to know all of these things and recognize it. The emotional change that takes place, you know, from somebody who just out of control sometimes and throws tantrums, you can't do that when you're in high school. Now they do, and they get by with it, but you can't do that anymore. You've got to grow up. When you were a child, you could get by with that, and we dealt with it. But when you're 15 or 16 and you're a lady, or you're a shaving young man, sounding like your dad, hey, you're on a deep voice. Well, you know, you can't act like that no more. But I'm telling you today, something is being left out of what I see today in my own personal opinion. When I look at the way youngsters are acting today, they're not growing up. They're not growing up. They're being selfish. 
and the heady and high-minded and proud and arrogant and out of control, ugly acting, angry acting, destructive, shouldn't be like that. That's what little kids do when they put them in a room together and play. And a little spoiled kid wants to throw it. Somebody gets his toy, he yanks it back. Next thing you know, they're fighting. Shouldn't be like that when you grow up. Christian homes, I'm talking about Christians. All of that stuff has to go. It all has to change. You begin to change mentally. You're required now to figure things out. You're required to be responsible to think ahead for yourself. You can't depend on mom and dad to do all your thinking for you, all your doing for you. We expect you to be motivated to do things that your mother used to do for you, that you do it yourself now out of respect for what she did and from what she does. Because you're growing up, you begin to see things more from an adult view and angle than you did when you were just a kid and everything was laid out for you. You know, your mom took care of this, she took care of this, you got home. That, I mean, mom did it all. When you grow up, mom should expect you to do those things yourself. After all, you are a young lady or a young man now. And you can wash dishes and you can make up your own bed, believe it or not. Believe it or not. And things like that happen. We as friends, parents, church, we want to see you grow up well. We want to see you become a good, solid, stable adult, a citizen of the kingdom with your priorities in God. We do want to see that. I can say that we can look back over the years at a number of young folks here that have turned out well. But far too many didn't. I don't know if, if it's because they went off to school and got heady new ideas about what's going on and come back to a dead, dull church. Ah, they don't know what to talk. I don't know what it is. But things happen out there. And you have to be careful. You really, 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 two reallys, three reallys do. So let's talk about maturity first tonight because I like to start with a definition. Every dictionary I found had the word ripe in it. So if you're mature, you're ripe. You like that, huh? You're ripe. Actually, it means to become fully developed or ripe. We apply this word mature to a young man who has arrived at, to the age when he's supposed to be competent to manage his own concerns and to a young woman who is fit to be married, and to an elderly man who have much experience. Mature. They say you're mature if your hair is gray and you've had a lot of years of life. They say you're mature when you put away childish things and you start living and acting like a man and growing into manhood and adjusting to that. A young lady begins to recognize that God created her for a purpose, and so she begins to adjust herself to fulfill that purpose in some man's life. And a young man realizes that the chances are he's going to get married and he, therefore he needs to make sure that he is doing this right so that when he does get married, he'll have something that his wife would not be scared of when she walks into it. You think of it. A young man asks a girl to leave the only home she's ever known and to come and make her abode with him and it'll be her home now instead of somebody else's home. So all of this takes time and adjustment. As a Christian, there has to be a mature outlook about all of this. And along with your being a disciple of Jesus and growing up and being in attendance and beginning to blend in because you are not kids anymore. You're adults now. You're young adults. 
and we expect you to act like it. You're not free from praise. You don't have to sit there and fold your arm like you could as a child. We didn't expect you to, but now we do. And so you got some decisions you have to make because that all gives us evidence that you're growing up, that you're maturing spiritually. It is a time, as I've already said, teen time is a time for maturity, the time for making good decisions, having good judgments, not foolish and impatient, but learning how to do the right thing and study the right things. Let's begin with maturity, a time for maturity. Would you look in Psalms 90? You're already close. Psalms 90 and verse 12. Again, the teen years is a time to grow up. It's quit being some little hat on sideways, foolish acting, rock and roll, ignorant acting teenager. And you say, well, all teenagers act that way. That doesn't mean Christian teenagers do. Are you hearing me? It doesn't mean that as a Christian, you have to do that to be one of them. Before you're anything, you're a Christian. Everything you do must be measured by what that means and how that is applied in your life. Whatever you do, everything has to do with you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Does it exemplify the work he's doing in your life or is what you are exemplified by the ways of the world? Are you acting like them? Do you dress like them? Do you goof off like them? Are you involved in the same entertaining things? That if they are, then it's not Christ that you're centered on in your life. It's the world. No wonder a lot of kids get bored with church because we're not like the world. Hopefully we're not. We don't sing their song. We don't act that way. We don't dress that way. We want you to be modest in here. We care what you look like. We don't want you to wear a hat in church. Men used to take them off when they walked in a building. Men used to be thinking ahead about what it means to be a man and to represent manhood wherever you are. It's not being somebody that's always mad and vulgar and nasty acting. That's not manhood. Not seeing how tough you are and drive around staring at people. That's not manhood. That's just the devil. But as a Christian, that's our focus. As a Christian young person, how do you mature? What does maturity mean? In what ways are we supposed to mature? Psalms 90 and verse 12 says, So teach us, Lord, as a mature view now, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Help us to take advantage of the time we have and the opportunities we have now that we might apply our heart unto wisdom. Now, wisdom is knowing the right way to do something. What is the best way for this to be done so that it does good in God's kingdom or in my life and things of that sort? The time for maturity is going to look at three or four things tonight. The first one I want to see under the heading of Maturity is what I would call spiritual maturity. We want you to become spiritually mature. We want you to be emotionally mature. We want you to be intellectually mature. Those three areas. Let's look at spiritual maturity first. What is a spiritually mature person? I would say to begin with, it's somebody who has learned what convictions mean. Learning what convictions are. 
and what the value of convictions are. What would Christianity be tonight if we had no convictions, just ideas? What if we were here tonight because it was what we've always done, what Christians ought to do, but we leave out convictions? If we didn't have any real convictions about Christ, it wouldn't really matter what we did. A conviction is something on the inside of you. Something that's a mental word, but it affects your whole heart and life. A conviction is what you're convinced of that is right. And so there comes a time in your life that you don't just ignore these things. Again, you're a teen now. You're old enough to drive a car. You're old enough to make decisions. Young girls can have babies now. Young boys can make babies. You're not a little kid anymore. You're on the very edge of adulthood. You can mess up your life so bad that you may never recover, or you can live it in such a way that we praise God for such a strong, stable soul. It's really up to you. There are choices you have to make, and we live by choices. So when we start talking about spiritual maturity and convictions, we're saying, what do you really believe? Not what have you been told to believe, but what do you really believe? If you have convictions, you take stands because you cannot violate convictions. A conviction is like a God-ordered belief that you cannot change. It's a God-ordered belief. You cannot change it. This is the way walkie in it. God didn't ask you if you thought you could do this. He just said, this is the way I want you to live. And I think that probably multitudes of people in the church view convictions with an option. They say, well, we ought to do that. That would be good. I think that's the right way for a Christian to live. Then they say this, but I don't know that everybody has the wherewithal to do that. I think they recognize that, you know, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. I really want to, but I'm just not there yet. And, you know, when you say that the rest of your life and you say that when you're 20, then 30, then 40, then 50, what you're saying is, I don't want to be convicted about things that's going to change my life and get me persecuted. I don't want to be convicted about what's right concerning holidays. Man, everybody in my family's big on the holiday thing. Well, the first time I didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter bunnies or Easter and all the stuff, that go, the first time I didn't get involved in all of that, all my friends at school, they would think I was a freak of nature. They would ridicule me. So to spare me at the expense of doing it God's way, I'm going to spare myself. and I'm just going to, you know, God understands. Does he? Does he really? See, we get by with things like that. We never spiritually mature. We never come of age. We never come unto full stature. Because you can't, when you hold back, when you hold back doing what is clear and right because of a fear of man, you cannot mature. You can call yourself anything you want to, but you're only what you're doing. He that knoweth to do good, is there something in the Bible about he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And if you know that God said you shouldn't do something or you're convicted personally about appearance, but you want to look because people are noticing you now because you're pretty woo, 
And you know that's wrong. Isn't it also whatsoever is not of faith is sin? Whatever is unfaithful towards God is also sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. It's not right. We have to live in a way in which we are approved unto God because we're acting like he sees us, he hears us, that what he said he means, he's standing behind it, and we're adjusting ourselves and living according to something that is, to most people, just a book. But for us, it has reality to it. I'm living like it's real because I'm living by faith. I'm accepting as true what God has said, even though there's no evidence that I can touch to prove any of this. You've got to have convictions. You can't just keep ignoring your, your role and your duty, your assignments by God to live a certain way. You can't just act like you're one of them out there when you hear all the time. At least, well, if you come twice a week, hopefully you'll hear that you've got to come out from among them and be separate. Listen to, about maturity. How can you grow up into Christ if you're leaving that part out because you're afraid of the consequences? It takes a grown man and a grown woman. It takes some real spiritual fiber to know, though I, if I do this, I'm going to be persecuted for it, but blessed be God, I'm going to do it anyway because I know it's right, and I'll trust God for my consequences. And that way, if I get persecuted and ousted, now I've been through this. I've lost lots and lots of friends through the years because of my willingness, not stubbornness, but I, I'm willing to be stubborn. My willingness to do what God said, even when church folks by the bunches don't want to believe that. But sometimes you have to say, it's my conviction. It's my conviction. I don't tell you that you must do this. I must. Why? Because it's been revealed to me as the only right way there is. How can I stand before God as a man of God if I'm afraid that being a man is going to cause me to be persecuted and I adjust myself to the ways of the world? The moment I adjust and draw back, that's the limit of my growth. I'm saying to all you young folks, you have to pass through this. You're not going to have a crowd around you that agrees with you. Not in the church, not in church meetings, in church camps, anywhere in the world, or church organizations around the world. You have to take a stand, and you are unique if you do. But you have to live by your choices, and you've been taught, again, most of you, your whole life, what the right ones are. Now, the rest of us watching you come to this point can make sometimes a very accurate evaluation of a people's lives. Well, you know, they should know better than that. Have you ever heard that? Well, they should know better than that. Well, why would they go there? They should know better than that. Well, why would she date a boy like that? Let a date. We'll get to that next time. You won't like that either, but date. Why would she want to go out with an unsaved boy? I mean, why would they want to do that? You know why we say things like that? Because in light of what God has said to us, why would you want to do something else? There's no blessing in doing something else. There's no grace and favor in ignoring what God said and doing something else. If God said, walk this way and do these things, that's what we do. If you don't do that, we know you don't. We're not against you. We're just saying, you know, I wish I could see more fruit 
in his life or her life. Or we see people acting a little bit racy. And you think, you know, not a lot of good can come out of that. And you prove us right. And nobody's happy about that. I've been standing here since this thing started, back in 1981. That's a long time. 30 years next year. We need to have some kind of little picnic or something, May 31st. In all these years, I've seen a lot of young people grow up and leave here. And in every case, they never grew up spiritually. They had adult bodies. They did adult things. They went to adult places, and they tried to fit in with the adult picture that the media and the world paints of how you ought to be, man. This is the way to live. This is how you kiss. This is how you hug, and that's, you know, that goes with that other stuff. And they set aside everything they've heard. They act like it was just old-fashioned and for another age, and they get out there and do that, and they just about, if they haven't, ruined their lives. Now, we sit here and watch that. I do, and I think, God, why? Teenage years don't have to be ruinous years. They can be wonderful, wonderful years. You can emerge out of this with all of us saying, you're the next leader in this church. Boy, you've proven yourself because that's what it's about. If you goof off 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, if you goof off for seven years, you never grew up. And you hit 20 years old, you'll probably be off in a college somewhere where they're all kids. They're all juveniles. And they drink and they carouse and fornicate and do everything that their parents spend thousands of dollars for them to do. And when they graduate, all they do is complain and bicker and they're angry and they're mad. They don't believe half of what they were taught. Most of them never get employed in the training they went for. See them graduate from college, next thing you know, they're working at McDonald's. It costs thousands of dollars to flip those hamburgers. Because somewhere in the lack of spiritual maturity, God was not in the equation. He was not the one who was called upon to guide me and, Lord, let grace be upon me because I intend to live it your way. That's left out for the sake of fun. You look at a lot of young adults today that have had fun, and they're all used up and all their promiscuous behavior, their multiple partners' behavior in drugs and drinking, and people don't want to marry those girls because they know all about those girls. I don't want her to be the mother of my children, not anybody that's lived the way she has or somebody that's been irresponsible and some young man that can't even keep a job. Who wants to marry him? Oh, you think it was fun, man. When you were 15 years old, it was fun. No, it wasn't. Because it just about, if not, has ruined your life. And we want to avoid that here. I can't touch the hearts of other people in other churches. I don't know where the messages go or who sees it. I don't know. I think it goes a lot of places. But people have to realize that, that you know, when you're in a place like this in a church and you have to give an account for everybody's soul, you preach it the way you have to preach it. We don't want to lose any of you. There's a lot of dirt in the teen years that you've got to avoid. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 9 in your Bible there in your lap, Psalm 119 and verse 9. I don't want to leave the girls out. 
because it would apply to girls as well as boys. It just happens that the gender here is man. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Does that imply his way wasn't clean? Her way wasn't clean? Does it mean that if you have something unclean that's not been cleansed, that you're not his? Doesn't say that at all, does it? God calls dirty people to him. He called me, how about you? He calls a lot of yucky people to himself, a lot of young people. This is what he says. Now, I know you're dirty, and I know you're nasty. I know all about you. I kept a record of your whole life. I know the hairs of your head. I know every breath you breathed. I know how many molecules of oxygen was in every breath. I know how many cells are in your body. I know, most of all, how many sins are in your life. Nobody's perfect. But I didn't call you to come to me because you're clean. I didn't call you out of darkness to be my child because you were pure and innocent and perfect. Man, he called me, he called a dog. Now, I was a car chaser. If you take some young man or young lady who has not been exactly perfect, God calls you knowing you're not. But he gives you this. He says, you know how to clean yourself up so that grace can come into your life and you can find the favor of God resting on you? What we're doing now, taking heed to the word of God, not listening to it, but giving heed to it. Not just saying I heard it, but doing something with it. Because if you can hear this and walk out of here and and your life's never affected, see, I have to tell you, you've never been born again. There's nothing new in your life. You're living the old life in a better environment, but you're never changed. You got to be born again. If you're born again, these things will come into your life as like little bars of soap. And your heart will convict you of things you're doing and aren't doing. And you begin to change and begin to make adjustments. This is called spiritual maturity. It is a part of our growth. It's what we do. And God requires that. And so do we. Another kind of maturity is intellectual maturity. We expect you to grow intellectually in your mind, in the way you think. Let me say this about the educational systems of our world. The educational systems, college, universities, and the headiest subjects you can study do not make you spiritual. If you memorize the French Revolution, if you can memorize all of that detail by detail, it would not make you a spiritual person. It might make you a heady, high-minded person. It might make you think you're superior to other people because of superior brain power, but it would never make you spiritual. Colleges and universities have a role in training you for a trade or some occupation or some hopeful benefit to mankind. That's a Christian thing. Well, whatever we do as Christians, our job should in some way benefit man. If it doesn't, we shouldn't do it like gambling. Anything in the gambling industry, to me, we should avoid it because that's not a contribution to the well-being of anybody. It's a way of getting something by chance that's not yours, and somebody loses and somebody wins. We would never be a bartender. Bartending doesn't benefit man, so our occupations are limited. There's a lot of things that we can do, but there's a lot of things that we can't do because as a Christian, I could not contribute I couldn't work at a brewery. I couldn't do that. 
people may do that, but I'm talking about what I couldn't do because to me, my conviction are that that would not be a good Christian occupation. Why would a Christian want to help produce something that's going to destroy people's lives? Well, you could destroy people's lives if you made a Corvette. Well, you could, I guess. You could manufacture a firearm somewhere, and I guess you could say that about that, but I don't think it applies like that. There are policemen who carry firearms, too, and I think their intention is to do good. Christians don't do that, but people do. But as an intellectual person or as an intellectual maturity, we're talking about the maturity that comes when knowing the right things that God has you to know and making application of it. It's a knowing. John 8:32 says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall. Now listen, the effect of truth is making something. You shall know. That's up to you. God reveals it. And if you're interested, if you're hungry tonight, he'll open your eyes and you'll begin to see it like you've never seen it before. We call that knowledge. Ah, oh, I see it. I never saw it before. You shall know the truth and the power and the effect of truth is to make you different. Without truth, you never change. If you never change, you never grow up. You never mature. If you were a little kid and you never paid attention, and most of them don't, I've watched too many kids sitting here in color and worse. Parents let their children bring their homework in here. God help you. This is not a schoolroom. This is a church. It's not a place to do your homework. Are y'all in here? Or am I making y'all mad yet? We're here to learn about the Lord, not six plus six. But anyway, intellectually mature doesn't mean you're smart as far as the world's concerned. But it means that in the eyes of God, you're learning his ways. You're learning to think after him. Would you turn to Philippians 4 just for a second and look with me at verse 8? I want you to see it. Whatsoever things are true. Well, how much of the world isn't? Whatsoever things are what? What's the next one? Honest. honest. How much of the world is honest? Oh, brother. What's the third one? How much of the world's there? What's the fourth one? Pure. Pure, pure ugly. No, what's it? Pure. How much of the world is pure? How much purity do you get from hanging out? Cruising through the streets at night with your hat on backwards, looking at the chicks. How much of that is pure to any of you? If you got any kind of a heart that's right, you'll say none of it is. Is there another one? Lovely. lovely. Uh-oh. That's lovely not in the sense of the girls, but it's lovely in the sense of what makes God what God is, what pleases God. Is there another one? A good report. Well, you get that on CNN. You don't get much any of that, do you? But what does it say at the end of that verse? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's it tell you to do? Think on these things. Why? Because that's the kind of mind, that's the kind of soil that God can plant his word in and it will take root. The world will think we're foolish. The thought processes that we have as mature people is that we see things God's way. 
We deny ourselves access to the old ways because that's not God's way. I just thought of this. And look at Isaiah 55. Listen to what God says about, especially about our thinking. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Would you like for his thoughts to be your thoughts? Well, this is what God said in your Bible. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Because the truth is, as you think, you are. And if your thinking doesn't change, you never grow. If you want to be mature intellectually or mentally, you'll have to learn to think the way God thinks, see things the way God sees things. You begin to ignore the trash in this world because if you think on that stuff, it's depressing because the world lies in darkness. It's the devil behind all that stuff. So you begin to see things God's way. Nobody makes you do it, but because you are growing up and you see that this is coming, I cannot avoid the fact that one day I'll be out of these teen years and I will be an adult. Some girl's going to marry me, some young man's going to marry me, and what in the world am I going to contribute to anybody's happiness if I'm still a child? Oh, I can do what adults do, but if I don't start thinking the way a Christian adult ought to think, I'm falling way behind. How about emotional, thirdly, emotional maturity? Things like self-control, like harnessing your feelings and holding them, you know, like the little kid we went to the restaurant with uh, a while ago. Remember, he was throwing a fit because he saw the long line. I actually saw this happen once, and, and I remembered it years ago. You can't do that when you grow up. What do you do when you grow up and you don't like the long line? Have you ever been in a discount retail place at the fall mark? Have you ever been to a store where... Sometimes you're in a line and you're looking for one to take your two items out and they're all backed up. So you get in one and it moves pretty quick and you get up there and they're behind you and you can't get out of there. And three articles have no price on them. And they have to call, come to the checkout counter, lane six for a price check. And then they get that. And then there's another one and then another. One, and everybody on all those other lines are going out to the car and you're still there. How would a five-year-old act? It'd scream. If some five would take a cart and bump it into him. As a Christian, what is required of you? Two things, endurance and overcoming. You stand there and go, I need this. The preacher preached on I said, that was a good sermon. Now it wasn't. Because now I'm going through it and I don't like it. All of my adverse emotions are chugging to the surface. And I really want to say, would you get out of the way? Or they want to pay their bill. And uh, where's, a, where's, my, where's my checkbook? Well, the lady, she don't know where your checkbook is. They got all these items you'd have to be paid for. I got to go out the car and get my checkbook. And you sing. <laughs> you start singing. If you're mature, God will test us in other ways. Maybe a little bit that way. We've all been there, hopefully once. And it really gives you a chance to see if you're growing or not. Slow traffic, people that are slow to take off at traffic lights, 
I hollered the other day. Come on. It says confess your faults one to another, and here we are one to another. Yeah, I said, come on, give a turn signal. Hi. You ever done that? I think you need to get a hold of this because we're not given to yelling and tantrums and all of that. I do better most of the time if my wife's in a car. I go, <laughs> Folks, one of the things that mature Christians do is cope with pressure. God allows the enemy to apply pressure to you to see if you can break from your Christian convictions, the things you have heard. He does that because he wants to accuse you before the brethren. He stands before God, the Bible says, accusing us day and night. He has to find a reason to accuse us, so he tempts us. And if we break, he says, yeah, he just broke. Look at there. And we give place to the devil. And until we repent and dig ourselves out of that thing, he gains that little bit of access into our life, and things don't go well for us when they should. And we just feel like we just all the time. No parent in this room, no person in this room has to be tense all the time. Everything that's tense and stressful, God has a solution for it. It's when you practice this solution that you're giving evidence to the fact that not only is your faith in God, but you're trusting in him to get through this, and that means quietly you're maturing. It's being still and trusting God and waiting on the Lord and not fussing and fuming and throwing fits. It's growing up. I heard of a story once where a father paid a lot of money for one of his youngsters to go to college. And when the youngster got to the college, they didn't really like the school, didn't like their classes, didn't like the professors, and didn't like the community, and just didn't like all this. And because this youngster didn't like this, they just didn't try. They made all Fs, failed in every grade, probably cost 20,000 bucks to go to school. And just decided, I ain't going to try. How would you like to marry that one? Somebody that won't even try because I don't like it. You talk about selfish Selfish person. I'm thinking, here is somebody that has never grown up, has always had mommy and daddy, always depend on them to make their ends meet and complain when they can't have their way. Don't like this school, not going to try, just flunked out and wasted all that money. If you're emotionally mature, you learn to take responsibilities. You make good decisions. You weigh all your decisions in light of what is right with God, what would be right in serving him. What would Jesus do? And that's what you do. You may not always know exactly what to do, but at least you're basing your decisions upon doing the right thing. You'd be responsible to take care of yourself. You should require that of yourself. I want to be a responsible young man or young woman. I don't want to be called my name is Jimmy Gimme. I want to take responsibility on myself. 
I don't want to have to be waited on my whole life or somebody have to do for me my whole life. I think growing up, I can do a lot of things on my own and I can do it as well as it can be done. We as parents like to see that. I mean, we really do like to see this change, this godly change coming into young people where they begin to take the initiative themselves to relieve mother and dad of a lot of things they've been doing. They get a job, they don't need money anymore. They can be helped if they need help, but they just begin to realize that if I'm not in this home forever, I'm only here for 20 years. If I live to be 70, I live 50 years away from my home, so I'm only here for a short time. I sure like to leave a good testimony here with these people who brought me into this world. I sure like for them to be proud of me or pleased with me or happy about me. I sure like for them to be able to tell other people, well, you know, since my child got saved, it's been a joy to have around. They good dispositions. They quit complaining. They quit being critical. They quit crying and moping all the time. They're no longer hard to please. They're no longer wanting more. Is that all of God? They're not like that anymore. They've all changed. I'll tell you why they've changed. They've grown up. When they were a child, they talked like a child. They thought like a child. They understood of a child. They're becoming men and women now. They're thinking like men and women think. They wouldn't want their children to think that way, so they don't want to think that way. It's just the way it works. I'd like to see young fellows grow up because it's just a matter of time now that you're the next leaders. We want to be able to watch people grow up here and become responsible leaders. I don't want to see a 40-year-old acting like he's 16 and everybody thinking he's cool. There's a family that I know in another state in the United States, not in Kentucky. And they had a kid that was the all-star. He was a cat's meow in high school. And when he's in 40 years old, he's still trying to run around, play basketball with all the kids and court the teenage girl. And he's 40 years old. Tried marriage and got divorced because it was too limiting, I guess. Still trying to stay in shape because he realizes now his body ain't quite like it used to be. He just never grew up. Still depends on his mom to bail him out and to give him money to go do things, buy him this. He can't keep a job. He never grew up. He'll never lead in the church because he can't stay in one anyway. When they don't grow, they don't stay. When they don't apply themselves to Christian principles and do it God's way, they don't stick around long. They get convicted by that. But we want you to grow up. So teen years are a time of maturity. Secondly, your teen years are a time of preparation. You know, chances are all you young folks are going to marry. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know when you're going to marry. You don't know how that's going to come about. You just know that when you reach a certain age, you begin to think about marriage because everybody you know, you look around at a certain age, marriage comes into people's lives. Somewhere between 18 and 25, a lot of 30 people get married. Young men make it 35. And you realize that it's coming. If you don't Tonight, you should. It's probably coming. Now, the question you ask yourself is, how will you prepare yourself for that? You can't say, man, I'm busy having fun hanging out. Look, I'm asking you a question. Chances are, in just a few years, just a few years, you're going to marry. Somebody's going to marry you. 
how are you going to prepare yourself? If you got a job, men, boys, fellas, guys, have you got a job? Are you saving money? Are you thinking ahead? Are you working on your job skills so that you can have the best job in the company or the system that you're in? Are you wanting to make as much as you can in the right way so that if you do ask some girl to marry her or that you have something to provide for her, or if some man asks you to marry him, are you preparing yourself in a biblical role of a woman and a wife? Are you willing, once you get married, to change diapers and submit to a man? Are you willing to make sure that most of the money you're ever going to make, she's going to get it to buy groceries and you're going to pay bills and buy children's clothes and her clothes? Everything's changing. Are you willing to do that? Stay single. Are you preparing yourself? How about the most sensitive part of your life, your emotional and sensual part of your life? Are you keeping yourself pure? Are you willing to remain a virgin until the day of your marriage, boys and girls? Or have you let the world's way creep into your life and think that we can hug and kiss and get up close and all of that and no problem, you're deceived. The most explosive years of your life, probably the teen years, you're changing life and the hormones are chugging. You really think you can do that and it doesn't affect you? It does affect you. You got to avoid the snares of your youth. What was it Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.22? Flee also youthful lust. The word youthful lust doesn't mean there's not lust in out of the youth years, but it means that during the youth years, they're not as easily controlled. You abandon all sensibility a lot of times when you're a young person and you just can't help it. You should never have gotten in that situation in the first place. You need to work on yourself. I'm going to keep myself pure. I want to get married and to know that the first, wouldn't this be nice, the first girl I ever kissed is the one I marry. The first intimate encounter I'm ever going to have is going to be with the person I marry. And I make a vow to myself And to God, I will not allow myself to get in any situation that might get out of control, and I wouldn't do this. I would like to say as a preacher, you may now kiss your bride for the first time. I said, yeah, I just married her. No, I mean, you may now kiss your bride. If you've been kissing on her for a couple years, and I say you may now kiss your bride, you've already done that. It's such an unheard of thing in this hour that you would bypass all the emotional fun and sensual fun that you can have. Everybody's doing it. And you say, well, God will hold me accountable for not doing it. And I'm going to keep myself pure. The man I marry gets me, and I get him. Her body is my body. His body is my body, she says. And we're going to indulge and the joys of love with each other the rest of our life. Would that be good? And I will not kiss, hug, or hold hands until I get married. And all the girls said, (laughs) all the boys said, there you go. There you go. 
Let me ask you a question, all of you. What's wrong with that? Am I talking unreasonable? You're living in a time which boys and girls act like alley cats and animals. It is like breeding. There's no love. It's all feelings. It has nothing to do with love and concern or care. It's all about me. And your time of preparation, you think about things like that. Are you willing to keep yourself pure as an act of devotion to God? I hope so. Because thirdly, it's a time for thinking ahead. As I've already mentioned, because I knew it was coming, chances are you're going to get married and chances are you're going to have children. And you're going to be a parent. And now you're going to raise a child yourself. And chances are your child is going to be just like you. They're going to act like you. They're going to have your faith. Chances are. They're going to have your convictions. You're going to have more time at the forming years of their life than anybody else as a mother and a father. Nobody will be closer to them the first four or five years of their life than you two. And what you pour into them is what's going to come out of them. They're going to act like you. They're going to look like you. They're going to be like you. They're going to be little yous. Not E-W-E, but little yous. Little wild yous. And hopefully you can present to the world when they begin growing up or to the church children that are more interested in being citizens of the kingdom than they are being worldly. Of living and thinking about some boy hugging on them or some girl being with them all the time. As though that's all there is to life. You're going to raise children. Now when you raise children, you're going to set a standard. Good or bad, you're going to set one. You're going to train your children one way or another. You're going to train them to disobey you or you're going to train them to obey you. You and your wife are going to be together in these projects of raising children or you're going to fight over it. Listen, before you ever marry, before it ever comes to the time of marriage, you need to know who you're going to marry and what they believe about all of these things. Because you're making a tragic mistake if you marry for the sake of beauty, looks, or feelings. Because... You want to marry somebody that God brings into your life and gives confirmation to your heart. This is the one. This is the one I'm going to love and devote myself as a loving father or husband for the rest of my life. Good or bad, up or down. We get old and ugly. I'm still going to love her. I tell my wife, you know, I'm getting older and getting uglier. And she says, I see you with my heart. <laughs> she might as well have said, yeah, you are. But anyway... <laughs> We just pray that as you're thinking ahead about your role and requirements, are you willing to raise your children to be godly? Are you godly? Are you willing to set a godly example? You have to be. Will you let them be critical and ugly and complain all the time? Will you sit around the table and let them talk about other people because you do? See, you've got to start thinking. I know you're having fun. It's fun to be a teenager, but you got to start thinking, you know, just ahead, the adult life is looking you square in the eyes. You're going to get out of the nest and go find your own way. You young men, maybe work on buying you a house. Quit spending all your money trying to be cool. Think ahead as a Christian and prepare yourself for what is coming. 
Like right now is a good time for you to start making some quality decisions. I don't care how old you are. I want to do what's right. I really want to do what is right. The Bible said, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Remember that. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall. And if you're willing and obedient, you shall. It's all laying out here for you. It's like a big plate. God lays it all out here for you. To some of us here, we treasure this stuff. This is life. This is our life. We never get tired of talking about it. We never get tired of hearing it. We never get tired of just reading it all the time. This is our life. It has become that which gives flavor to life, the Word of God. It's what God puts in a person's heart as food to make you grow up. Now, the same thing is offered to all of you, especially you young folks. It's yours too. If you're in here tonight from 13 to 30, it's yours too. You can grow up with this. You can become the kind of person that we as a church, 10 years from now, we look back and marvel at just how well you're doing and the health of our church is intact because we've got some fine young men and fine young ladies here. Amen. What about dating? What about going steady? What about engagement? What are we supposed to think about that? I mean, is it okay to date or go steady? I'm not. Why? What's wrong with that? I mean, what's the big problem? Everybody's done it. Everybody's done it for years. So what's wrong with it? Well, you'll have to come back next week. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless your people tonight. Bless the word to their hearts. Give us light and understanding about all of this. Even though we're talking about the teen years, Lord, I know that you can speak to us as parents and us who are just single. It's like, Lord, every time we come together, no matter what we talk about, you give somebody something. There's always something. May we treasure that, and love that, and enjoy that. And I pray, Lord, that we who are getting older will be able to look at those that are growing up and be pleased and happy about the results. But it's their choice, Lord. It's their choice. I ask you to bless them to make the right choices. In Jesus' name, amen.